Welcome to Addiction in the Family, episode 44, How to Talk to Kids About Addiction. How has addiction affected your family? It robbed me of my father. Addiction's affected my family in absolutely every way. Um, it has caused a lot of turmoil. It goes back to what I understand is at least three generations. It robbed my daughter of her mother. It robbed my mother of her daughter. Addiction has made our family quite challenging. Addiction affected my family tremendously. Uh, it's affected my relationship with my sister where I wouldn't I'd go for months without talking to her. It's a very difficult thing for everybody involved. It doesn't just affect the, the one individual. It's a disease that affects the whole family. Addiction has spread not only genetically through like some of my uh, relatives and I assume ancestors. It's uh, generational. I think of him every day. Welcome to Addiction in the Family, a podcast by and for family members of anyone with an addiction. My name is Casey Ariaga, and I'm a clinical social worker and addiction counselor at both Windmill Wellness Ranch and In Mind Out Emotional Wellness Center. And I'm the author of the books, Realistic Hope, The Family Survival Guide for Facing Alcoholism and Other Addictions, Spirituality for People Who Hate Spirituality, and the new children's book, Mommy's Getting Sober. My wife, Kira, and I were in our addictions for over 10 years together in a shared recovery for over twice that long. Join us as we offer experience, strength, and realistic hope about how you and your family can find recovery together. We're doing an episode in two acts today in celebration of the release of my new book, Mommy's Getting Sober. It's a children's picture book that also includes a caregiver's guide on how to talk to kids about addiction at any age, including helping them to avoid similar issues as they grow up. In the first part of this episode, I have a special guest, Skye Hilton, who illustrated Mommy's Getting Sober. We talk about our personal connections to this book as people in recovery and how we see it can help both kids and their caregivers. In the second part, I share some tips from the book about talking to kids. All of this after a word from one of our sponsors. Addiction in the Family is brought to you in part by the generous support of Windmill Wellness Ranch, an innovative treatment center located in the beautiful hill country of Texas and serving clients and their families from throughout the United States. I'm Shannon Mollish, CEO of Windmill Wellness Ranch. We offer the best in neurotechnology to heal the brain and the best therapy to heal the mind. Call us today at 210-762-6217. I'd also like to let you know that Windmill Wellness Ranch now has a free course available to any family or friends of anybody with any addiction. The course is available at windmillfamilycourse.com. Once you go and sign up for free, you'll get a weekly email pointing you towards blog posts, videos, and podcast episodes that help carry a message of hope. Sign up today at windmillfamilycourse.com. Welcome back. All right, without further ado, let's jump into that conversation with Sky Hilton. Okay, so I'm really excited about this. I am here with my compatriot, Sky Hilton, and we're going to talk a little bit about what went into creating our new book, Mommy's Getting Sober. So, Sky, I just want to welcome you to the show and ask you to introduce yourself a little bit and talk about what are you doing on a show called Addiction in the Family. Yeah, my name is sky hilton i am an artist i'm a children's book illustrator i'm also a person in recovery so this is just kind of the perfect scenario of these two things coming together for me is being able to use like my artistic skills and the stuff that i'm passionate about and also put it towards a topic that's like super 
near and dear to me, especially for kids. You know, that's it's just a clash of two worlds, and I love it. When you were growing up, what did your parents or caregivers tell you about addiction? Um, nothing. <laughs> yeah, growing up, it was something that I didn't know it like kind of runs in my family until I myself was going through it. So nobody gave you any warning? Yeah, no, no warning. Yeah, it was, I, I remember having a moment where I was like, oh, wow, like it sounds like we've got this person on this side of the family and somebody down the line over here and then somebody currently struggling and I, ju- I just didn't know what it was until it applied to myself as well. Now, what do you wish people would have told you about addiction? Man... I guess I wish I had more foreshadowing of, you know, it sucks and it's it's like really tough to go through, but there's also is like hope on the other side of it. There's also ways to get help, you know, like I, I think a lot of times people talk about addiction, about like all of the suffering and everything. If somebody's not like actively in addiction and struggling with that, even a conversation with somebody beginning to dabble with substances, you know, it's always this this big warning of like, hey, you're going to ruin your life, which I don't disagree with. But also just the fact that like, hey, if this is a decision you're going to make, like if you get to a point where you're struggling, there's so much support out there, like, you know, just reach out a hand and we got you. I wish it was just talked about in general more. I am with you 100%, which is one of the things that inspired me to write this book was just thinking like, Uh, There was no conversation when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. I was watching my dad in his own addiction with alcohol. And I remember really distinctly being about three, four, five years old, something like that. And uh, it was yet another, I'm going to say Christmas. Some of those really stand out for me because, you know, there's all this anticipation as a kid. And then the actual night was just all bets are off. We don't know what's going to happen. And it really, looking back, depended on how drunk my dad got. But I didn't know that at the time. So I remember my dad stumbling off to bed and we're all just kind of sitting around the living room like, now what do we do? And I remember saying, probably to my brother, like, daddy's tired. And I remember my brother who's two years older, so that puts him somewhere in the five to seven year old range. And he looks at me and goes, don't be stupid, dad's drunk. Mm. And I remember thinking, what? Like, I didn't even know what to do with that information. And that was probably as close as we ever got to an open conversation in my family about my dad's drinking. It was just this forbidden subject. So I would hear dad was tired, dad was sick. There was a night when I was more like 13 where he just terrorized the family all night long while we were out on vacation, which of course gave him, I'm sure, a license to get his relief. He probably didn't remember much about it when he got up in the morning. But what we were told is dad was sick last night. And I remember at 13, just waiting for like the, you know, the stereotypical ambulance to come up and the guys in the white coats to come. And I thought they were going to come take my dad away. And part of me was scared that was going to happen. Part of me was hoping it was going to happen because then something might change. So I know I drew on some of all of that stuff when writing this book, just thinking like, wouldn't it be great if there was a conversation being had with kids that wasn't hiding, lying, euphemisms, just being able to say, here's what's really happening. Yeah, kids are smarter than we give them credit for. I saw that like in my cousin, you know, his mom struggles with addiction and watching him grow up and being like in our care, like in and out of it. 
I always said, like, he understands more than we think he does, you know, and, like, we can tell him, basically. I remember when the conversation went from, and I'll just talk about with me, too, when I was, like, actively in my addiction, and I want to say he was five to eight years old when I was still actively using, and living in Texas at the same time, because a lot of my use happened outside of Texas. I remember when the conversation changed from, like, Sky's going to health camp, you know, to, oh yeah, Sky is back in rehab, and she struggles with this stuff, but she's getting better. All the way up until now, like, I've had a pretty direct conversation with him, like, he's 10 years old now. I started initially dabbling with substances when I was 12 years old. Right, and so that to me is like, oh man, who knows what he's gonna do, but so I, I had the conversation with him and I said, hey, you know, you know you can talk to anybody, but like, especially if this stuff ever comes up, right, like, I'm not gonna give you a hard time if you need to talk to me about it because I've been there and like, it can stay between the two of us and like, I just want you to have somebody, like, I asked him directly too, like, you know that I'm sober, right? And he said, yeah, 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 da, 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 da. And I said, do you know what that means though? You know, and we talked about it. it was a crazy conversation to have with a 10-year-old, but I, I wish it didn't feel that wild, you know, to just be like, this is what it means, That's you know, and this is why I don't drink or, or do any drugs or anything like that. So this reading the copy for the book and, and being able to then take it into what kind of imagery do you use to express this and, like, how do you convey, like, some of those scary feelings, some of the scary thoughts, sometimes experiences that, like, we wish for myself I didn't have to put other people through or, you know, God forbid anybody going through it themselves as well, but putting it into, like, a digestible form <laughs> to have a healthy conversation about it was a really fun challenge. Well, that was one of my big hopes for the book was just to be able to give voice mm -hmm. for kids because as I said before there wasn't really any room for that you know we would feel this distress and I could tell my brother was stressed and my mom was stressed and I wanted to save her and all this kind of stuff and I did what most kids do in that situation which is I tried to figure out what's my part where am I to blame mm -hmm. and that's a natural thing for kids to think they'll take this stuff on and if there's no place to give voice then there's no place for anyone to say oh honey no it's not you and so one of the things that I tried to do in the book was to give that opportunity to have it on the page, partly where a child might be able to look at it and say, oh, wow, that's me. I feel that way. And my hope is that this becomes a conversation between caregivers who are reading the book. As you said, sometimes the kids are not living with their parents because of active addiction. You know, the hope in the book itself is that it's something that people will be reading as a parent is getting sober, but we know sometimes people go in and out of that. We don't know for sure what's going to happen. When we look at those things, I just think like, okay, how do we give these kids an opportunity to talk about what's happening and be able to give voice to all of this? And uh, it's not an easy thing because a lot of times the kids grow up feeling like they shouldn't or they can't. The other thing in the back of the book, as you've seen, of course, and I want to tell our audience, uh, shameless plug here, is there's a guide on how to talk to kids. So the, like the first chunk of the book, of course, is for the kids and with the kids. But the second part is actually for the caregivers to be able to look at that. And there's nothing in there that I wouldn't want kids to hear, right? Saying, hey, your best bet is to be honest with the kids. Here's some ways to have some of those conversations. 
because they can feel like weird conversations. Mm -hmm. But I know as a parent myself, knowing, hey, this runs in our family, if it was heart disease, we'd all be talking about it and saying, well, son, here's what you need to look out for, and this runs in the family, and yeah, it's a bummer, but we can be okay if we do these certain things. I knew that I was off and running by the time I was 10 in my addiction. I mean, I can look at the seeds were there earlier, and I was in addictive behaviors for literally all of my life from earliest thoughts. But I also know that I wanted to give my daughter a chance by the time I had made a choice to be basically an addiction. I wouldn't put those words on at 10 years old, but by the time I made that choice, I would be able to have a conversation with her and say, hey, this runs in the family. Mm -hmm. Your mom has it. I have it. We're in recovery. This is what this looks like. You know, framing it in ways that I was hoping a 10-year-old could follow and kind of laid out a little bit of a pathway of like, here's some ways to try and avoid that. Knock on wood so far. <laughs> she struggled with some mental health stuff for sure, but not addiction. So I'm really grateful for that. So one of my favorite parts about the book is the more information in the back of it. I actually, I know you had kind of given me a heads up that there's going to be that kind of stuff in the back. Maybe it slipped my mind, but when you sent me the draft of it all formatted out with that information in the back, I was like, oh yeah, you know, this is awesome. This is more than just a book to kind of read along and like open up the conversation. This is actual direction on how to move forward in that conversation. Cause even when I talk to my cousin about it, I'm like, you know, I know I need to do this. I know like I feel directed to have this conversation, but how do you talk to a 10-year-old about this? How do you talk to even, a, you know, somebody younger who is clearly, like, needs to have this conversation? But beyond that, too, you know, the first half of it where it is to be read, like, with the kid, I think it does an amazing job of actually helping give that voice to the kid themselves and, like, articulate some of these very advanced, you know, or more mature topics that I would imagine you know, put myself back in like a 10 year old's perspective, I don't really have the words for, you know, like I don't necessarily even understand the concept of this, except for what I have seen that I'm just still trying to process. So I think that, yeah, that's just as a powerful thing that it's done is actually give words to like, hey, why use the bad stuff? You know, like what's going on here? And even diving into the topic of like, I'm kind of scared to talk about this, but I probably should. And just opening up that door of like, here are some words to put to the feelings that might not be identified yet. Well, I appreciate that because that's obviously, of course, my fondest hope for the book is to be able to give that. And one that I'll toss back to you is with the illustrations. You know, usually with children's books, illustrations, a lot of times it's just sort of like someone says, hey, I'm sitting in my bed looking out of the window at the moon. And so the illustration is of somebody sitting, looking out of the window, up at the moon. But you took it in a direction of really having the pictures tell a story within themselves. And it's not a different journey, but just a different aspect of the journey. And really very emotionally based pictures. And I was surprised by that, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you sent the, <laughs> just the artist concept drawings, I was like, wow, this is so cool. And it's nothing that I would have thought of. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I ever told you this. I almost ended up illustrating the book myself. I think because, you did, yeah. Okay, I, had, I had one illustrator, and we started, and it just wasn't getting anywhere. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to try working with Sky, who we had just met. And I thought, like, okay, if this doesn't work out, then I'm just drawing this. Yeah. But there's no way I would have come up with anything like the ideas that you did. Mm -hmm. So I just really appreciate what you've brought to this project. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, 
Yeah, I appreciate kind of having the creative license to like you just being open to me taking a spin at it as well. And I, my thoughts around that was definitely like, I don't know exactly how old the kid will be. I know there's a general range, right, of what we're going for here. But who knows who's going to pick up this book and something that can be kind of digested even just looking at it like who knows if this kid can read or not and just being able to really put themselves into that experience while also not wanting to accidentally like activate any you know negative response to it or you know definitely identifying like here's what's going on and the reality of the situation of course but at the same time like having this thread of hope going through it like a somewhat optimistic perspective and really like you said like trying to convey the emotion behind it that's something that I have always try to bring into my illustrations as much as I can because you can do a lot with words and then if you put like an image with the words you can actually like take somebody to a place and a feeling of it so I hope I did a good job with that you did yay yeah that's definitely is my goal is to try to get the emotion across for me there's kids books that I grew up with and I think about the visuals in them and it really takes me to a place when the book then applies to my life I can actually identify with that image it just gives it an extra layer of like oh this is what that book was talking about and I can literally see it and like it, it makes me feel this way I mean trying to talk about it out loud is just feels like talking mumbo jumbo a little bit but I don't know if you know the Frank Zappa quote where he said, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. Oh, that's cool. So the hope, of course, with a thing like this is to be able to convey both. But mm -hmm. yeah, the caregiver section in the back was very near and dear to my heart because so many people start out by lying to kids, mm -hmm. whether they intend to or not. And I'll hear things, especially from clients and their family members at the treatment center of like, oh yeah, I've just been telling, telling our kid that you know I'm on vacation or daddy's at work or, you know, daddy's sick and he needs to go see the doctor. And I'm just thinking, what do you think is going to go through your kid's mind the next time they're sick? And you say, oh, we're going to take you to see the doctor. And they just think, I'm going to go away somewhere and not be seen for yeah. what, for a kid, seems like a really long time. In fact, I tried to make sure to mention that in the book, because the book is written from the child's point of view, which was important to me, that very personal voice. But to say, like, yeah, this isn't what it looks like when I get sick. Because otherwise your kid's going to think like, oh no, I can't be sick because they're just going to send me away somewhere. And also mentioning in the book the idea that, you know, everyone told me, well, mom won't be gone for long, but it seemed like a long time to me. Because mm -hmm. yeah. for kids it is. And we forget that sometimes when, you know, summer vacation is like endless. Yeah. <laughs> and then the school year is even more endless. <laughs> <laughs> so being able to give kids that opportunity and give parents that opportunity but I'll also say that I hope not only does it open up the conversations within families, but also just within individuals, between the pictures and the story. You know, there's a book that I recommend for people who are adopted to read called 20 Things That Adopted Kids Wish Their Adoptive Parents Knew. And the thing is, the book is written for you as a parent who's about to adopt a young child. Like, maybe you're going to adopt a newborn. And everyone thinks, oh, well, they're not going to remember and all this kind of stuff, when in fact kids do. It can be very subconscious, but I know this. I'm adopted myself, and I remember reading this book and just thinking, like, wow, somebody nailed it. I wish my parents had this book. Mm -hmm. Well, my little secret hope with this children's book is that you don't have to be reading it to a kid. Someone who's been through this experience can just pick it up themselves and say, there it is. Yeah. 
this is what this feels like because you've been through some of this, I've been through some of this, and being able to look and see how can we help the next person so that they may not have to go through the same. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all about changing the narrative, right? For me, at least, in terms of how we talk about addiction and how we look at addiction and how we look at recovery and all of that stuff, you know, and, and especially approaching the conversation at a younger age when it is current and it is happening and already being able to process that in a healthy way while also navigating the complexities of it could really you know, if you, I, I think about like a kid who reads this, if they're going through this, and then as they get older, like actually being able to wrap their heads around the situation more and more and take off those things of like, I am not to blame here. This is why this is happening. This is the effect that substances could have on me, you know, instead of just associating an emotion and just kind of being mindlessly controlled by this emotion. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know. I just think helping to be able to process that more is going to become exponential, you know, and keep paying it forward. That is the hope. Yeah. That's something that I talk about a lot with the families in the family workshop that I do at Windmill Wellness, which is addiction may skip a generation or two or three even, but the family patterns will get passed down to everybody. So either we're going to teach kids, we are honest within this family, we talk about what's really going on, we open up with our feelings, we can ask for help when we need it, and we're going to model that as their adults and caregivers and just the adults around them, because while you may or may not spend a lot of time as a direct caregiver, like you said, for your cousin, Mm -hmm. you're going to be that model. And I've seen so many people come into treatment and say, I know I can get sober because my grandmother got sober because my cousin got sober, because my mom or my dad got sober. That tells me I can do it. And we always hope, of course, that the kids aren't going to struggle with that. But addiction is 50% genetic right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to be able to help but pass on some of the family culture. So kids who are raised or just are born to somebody that has some of these issues, they're going to be at higher risk. And if we can't talk about it, like you said, there was no warning. For instance, in my family, because there was no language or framework or room, in fact, it was absolutely positively discouraged you know don't talk to anyone about what happens in this house and it became very clear very early on you can't talk about dad's drinking i was sliding into sex and love addiction i had no idea i didn't know it existed i didn't know it could be me i know i didn't want to drink the way my dad drank although ultimately i did end up drinking and getting sober with all this stuff it's like was anybody looking to say hey this kid is sliding into addiction if we'd been able to talk about things might there have been more of a protective factor? I can't look and say like, oh, I wouldn't have gotten addicted and there wouldn't be any problems in my life. I'm not like, not that kind of changing the, yeah. the narrative, but being able to say, I might have gotten in recovery earlier than 30. <laughs> if I had some idea, this is a family pattern I should be looking at. And it can show up in different forms and things like that. So being able to have those conversations with kids is, I think, incredibly important. Yeah, you were kind of touching on leading by example in a way and like that goes back to what I was thinking initially when we sat down and started talking is like if I can have that conversation with him and say hey you know like I've been there I've done these things I'm not saying like just don't make the decisions I made you know I would love for you to make better decisions than I did right but I also didn't have anybody to talk to about it and didn't feel like I could talk about it. And that's, it's not pointing the finger. And like you were saying, not, it's not trying to rewrite the narrative. Like it would have been different. You know, I probably still would have made all the decisions that I made, but being able to understand a little bit more 
and talk more frankly if I just had somebody be super direct with me about it. I don't know that anybody in my family would have even anticipated needing to talk to me about it as well because I do think it kind of like skipped a generation. I don't know what happened, right? But I, I just remember, yeah, growing up, neither of my parents really drank and just being like, okay, yeah, they just choose not to drink. And today it's like, oh, maybe there is a reason, not because they themselves struggled, but because maybe they've seen other things happen, right? And so if I can set that example for my cousin and also say, hey, here are the facts and here's the reality, you might make some of the same decisions that I did, but I also want you to see what it looks like on the other side of that. And also more than anything, as a person in recovery, I wanna lead by example that life is actually way cooler when I don't have to use a substance to make it through the day. You know, like I'd love to just lead by an example that he's like, man, I don't even want to waste my time with that because there's so much better stuff out there. It has affected his life at this point, And now he has a point of context to like open the conversation and hopefully rock the boat a little bit when it comes to, you know, continuing on the conversation down the line. Like, I hope that this changes the perspective of, of the kids that grow up reading it and the families that grow up reading it with their kids and all that good stuff. I hope it, yeah, continues to change the conversation around how we talk about and look at addiction and at what we think about it, which was also a big thing I tried to put into the illustrations as well as the darkness and all of that discomfort that comes with it for everybody. But more than anything, it's the hope. It's not the thing we talk about in hushed tones, like at the wedding about so-and-so who's not there. It's about love and being able to understand what's going on a little bit more, less judgment, you know, just like open that door to a conversation that will lead us all to a better place, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all that stuff. That's what it's all about. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, uh, Sky, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. This is so cool. Well, we're looking forward to having this book out there in the world. Yes. All right. This seems like a good place to take a quick break to hear from another one of our sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll have some tips for caregivers on how to talk to kids about addiction. Among our sponsors, the most important one is you. We are so grateful for your support in our mission to help people with addiction and their families find recovery. Here are some ways you can help. I have a website at caseyauthor.com where you can find all the various ways I'm working to spread a message of hope for anyone struggling with addiction and anyone who loves them. There you can find videos, interviews I've given on other people's podcasts, information on my books, Realistic Hope, The Family Survival Guide for Facing Alcoholism and Other Addictions, Spirituality for People Who Hate Spirituality, and my newest book, Mommy's Getting Sober, a children's book that also includes a guide for caregivers on how to talk to kids about addiction. All three are available on Amazon and other retailers as both paperback and ebook. If you have read them, please tell a friend or anyone you think might be helped by their message. There's also a link to help support us on Patreon.com. Your subscriptions help make all this possible. If you'd like to become a subscriber, visit Patreon.com and look up Addiction and the Family. Thanks again. We couldn't do this without you. Welcome back. As promised, in this second part of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about how to talk to kids about addiction. Now, first and foremost, the most important thing, and I can't stress this enough, is to be honest with kids. We can use language and come at it from an angle that kids can understand, 
but it's important to tell them the truth. They already know something's wrong. They already know something's going on. And if we're not honest with them, two things happen. One, they're more likely to blame themselves and think, what did I do to bring this on? And the younger they are, the more likely that is to happen. And the second thing is, we're modeling for our kids not being honest. So if we want them to grow up to be honest people, if we want them to be open and honest about any struggles they may have around these issues, then we have to model that by being honest with them. For younger kids, this might mean putting things in terms they can understand. Not just saying, well, mommy's sick, but we can talk about the idea that a parent or someone that is close to them or that they know who is struggling with addiction may have sickness going on in their mind and that this can happen for people sometimes. It's not incurable, but it can be difficult. And so helping them to understand, again, it's not their fault, but there is something going on with the parent that is not just about the parent making bad choices, although that is most often how it shows up from the outside, but that these choices are not completely within their control. I know that can be difficult for even adults to understand, so you may have to do some reading and get a better understanding of addiction yourself before having that conversation, but at least start the conversation with them. As kids get older, it's better to have more mature conversations. It's okay to talk about the fact that alcohol and other drugs can sometimes feel really good at first or can feel like they're taking our problems away, but then these things just become another problem themselves, and the first problem still hasn't gone anywhere. So now you have two problems. These are things that kids can understand, and it can help to prepare them for some of the challenges that they may have ahead of themselves. It's important to reassure kids at any age that they can be okay even if their parent struggles. I know this can be a hard sell sometimes, and sometimes we have trouble believing it ourselves, but it's important for everyone to recognize that they don't have to be dependent on that one person getting sober and being okay in order for everyone else to be okay. This is a chance for you to model your own recovery as a family member and to talk to them about how they can recover from what's going on. Don't be hesitant to get them help or to connect them with resources that can help them to heal and grow from this experience. It's important to recognize what they're going through and that's part of the purpose of the book. It's written from a child's point of view so that children can sometimes recognize what's going on within them, give it voice, and learn how to talk about and acknowledge some of these feelings. You can model this by acknowledging your own feelings. It's okay to talk about the fact that this is difficult for you and everybody involved and still reassure them that you're going to do what you need to do to make sure that they're safe. Let them know that you doing what you need to do can also include seeking help for yourself. This helps to model for them that it's okay to get help. It's okay to ask when you're hurting. It's okay to let somebody know what you're going through. That way, they can have that tool, something that a lot of people struggle with when they're facing addiction themselves. And again, we know that addiction is around 50% genetic, which means that some of the kids will have to face some of these issues moving forward, they're going to have to make difficult choices. So being able to model asking for help now in yourself and encouraging them to do the same, to connect them with help, is something that can help them a lot in their own future. As part of this, we can teach kids direct skills that are known to help around addiction and other mental health issues. This can include asking for help, being open emotionally, talking about problems when you have them, learning to identify your emotions and then express them to others, whether in writing or words.
teach them to foster supportive social connections, as this is one of the biggest factors that helps people around these issues. Teach and model how to be of service to others, as this is another important protective factor because it creates a sense of meaning and purpose, and meaning and purpose can help people to stave off the ravaging effects of addiction. This does not mean taking care of everyone else to your own detriment, but instead learning how to serve and help others from a full cup rather than draining ourselves. If it seems like a good fit for them and for your family, talk to them about spiritual connection. Remember, it's not religious practice that helps people the most around these issues, but actually the spiritual connection, a deep feeling of being connected to something greater than themselves, whether that's the worldwide energy of people who are in recovery, whether it is a sense that I'm not sure what it is that's out there, but there's something on my side, or maybe things that are connected to a particular religious practice, as long as it fosters a sense of connection and not distance from others. And finally, teach and model where to go for help, whether it's help right now or help that they may need in the future. This can include teaching them how to find a good therapist and also how it is that they can connect with recovery fellowships such as Al-Anon or Alateen for teen members who have a parent who's been through addiction or groups like Smart Recovery Family and Friends or the National Alliance on Mental Illness. All of these resources are freely available and can be found on the internet, telephone, and in-person meetings. Teach them about these things, learn about them yourselves so that they have a better fighting chance as they're growing up. And that's the episode that we have for today. Take good care of yourselves, take good care of those kids, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us through another episode of Addiction and the Family. As they say in many recovery meetings, take what you liked and leave the rest. Go out and explore the possibilities for recovery in your life and give your loved ones the space and dignity to make their own choices. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe. It means a lot to us. If you know anyone else who could use what we have to offer, please tell them about Addiction and the Family. If you have comments about this podcast, have a question you'd like to answer it on the show, or want to contribute your voice, or just want to say hi, you can write to us at addictioninthefamily at gmail.com. We're also happy to be your friend on Facebook, and we can be found tweeting on Twitter. Addiction in the Family is produced, written, and engineered by Kira and Casey Ariaga, with music by Casey.